Hi, this is Tracy. You are listening to Teletalk. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of Teletalk. I am Perry Flynn, North Carolina Department of Public Instruction Consultant in the area of speech-language pathology. And as always, my co-host is Tracy Ball, who works for the company Enable My Child. That is a um, telepractice company. But tonight, I'm really excited to introduce you to four wonderful guests that we have with us tonight. Morgan Rush, Jessica Willard, Laura Yang, and Mariah Humans. And they are currently second year graduate students at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about them in a minute um, and why they are here as our special guests. But as of today, which is August 27th, uh, I'm going to give you some updates from the Department of Public Instruction, uh, some sort of frequently asked questions. So, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you about our guests first. <laughs> they, they are second year graduate students now. <laughs> when they were doing telepractice with me as their clinical supervisor last spring, in the spring of 2020, they were first year graduate students. And uh, we served a classroom of students with intellectual disabilities in the spring. Now, we wouldn't have usually been in a classroom. We would have been at a therapeutic horseback riding center, a Circle C Equestrian Center, providing uh, equine-assisted learning activities at that barn. They would have been non-mounted activities. But because of COVID and everything else, we serve that classroom through telepractice. Uh, it is a cross-categorical classroom of a variety of students with intellectual disabilities, Down syndrome, and we had some augmented communication users as well. We provided one-hour sessions per week for that classroom, and the wonderful graduate students are going to maybe give you a little bit more background information when I turn it over to them. But really, they did do a fantastic job. None of us, myself included, had no experience with providing telepractice. And um, so we were all, you know, a little tentative about entering into this kind of service delivery model. But just really pretty much from the start, once we got about 15 minutes of logistic problems out of the way, it, it ran so smoothly and I was so proud of them that I asked them to be our guests on the Teletalk tonight to give you their experience as first year graduate students um, providing this kind of service delivery. So now we can go on to, the, to my frequently asked questions. So um, one of the questions has been, what do I do if I can't involve parents to schedule sessions? And some parents um, just don't want, they have too much going on right now and really don't want to schedule telepractice sessions. And, and that is fine, but you should um, accept whatever decision they make or if they choose not to respond to you, that's fine as well but you continue in good faith to try to uh, set up sessions with them uh, and document your attempts, document, document, document. Uh, but if a parent says, you know, the first nine weeks, I'm going to uh, let go of speech services, that is fine, let go of it. And as you approach the end of that nine weeks, go ahead and catch up with them again and see if they're ready to schedule those sessions. I really suggest that you collect written informed consent. You can get oral informed consent, but written is much more defensible. The Board of Examiners does say that you need to collect some permission from parents or caregivers that they know that the services will be provided through telepractice. And I just think it's wise to do that through some simple um, written consent. 
some people are moving to do live face-to-face therapy or face-to-face diagnostics. And so in those cases, you will want to use PPE, masks, and or visors. Many people are using plexiglass screens to separate the student from the clinician and as much as possible remain six feet apart. And certainly disinfect the area, the, the materials, the therapy materials, the diagnostic materials, the chair and the, um, and the desk that you might be using. Uh, soon to come from DPI will be some guidance on the best masks to use and to purchase, particularly for students with hearing impairments or if you as the clinician are serving a student with hearing impairments. So soon that guidance is going to come from DPI and I will post it to my listserv and it will be on my website. So um, if, if you're wanting to know more about conducting evaluations, the last episode, the fourth episode of Teletalk delves deeply into that and Tracy and I have some guests who we feel were um, experts in assessment to help us do that teletalk. So if, if you're wanting to know more about assessment, we suggest you view or listen to the last episode of teletalk. Mm -hmm. so I have a couple things, if it's okay if I jump in, Perry. Sure. On the, the bullet up top about involving parents and scheduling, Yeah. I think there's an opportunity there as parents are learning um, how to utilize technology to help teach their children with the help of the teachers on the other end. There's an opportunity there to also help those teachers um, learn how to serve those children that are on your caseload by making some um, at least good faith effort in, in helping them make accommodations for that. So if you have children that you're unable to connect with the families, there may be ways that are alternative to that, that you could actually help the teachers. And, and in, a, in a roundabout way, you may end up working with the parents, but um, I would urge everyone to try to be flexible and creative with how to leverage your experience. And this may be different from, you know, therapist to therapist and school to school, but you know, what you're allowed to do and what, the, what kind of relationship you have with those teachers makes a big difference there. But I would, I would urge uh, creativity and flexibility and all the, all that has to be within the realm and scope of practice um, for your discipline. But I think that's something that, um, you know, needs to be um, called out and people that are doing that, you know, should, should um, you know let their district know and and see if you know there's if there's others people that other people that need help with that. Um, so that's a point I wanted to make there. Yeah. So an excellent point. So let me um, talk on that a little bit. Uh, uh, this telepractice may offer a, a fantastic opportunity, as you've suggested, to collaborate with teachers and parents more. We mentioned that in the first or second episode, um, and. If, if you are not providing direct services and parents are not wanting that or um, have, have chosen something else, that doesn't say that you can't provide like therapy packets, some materials for them to do home homework kinds of stuff. Uh, you cannot count those as IEP sessions, but you can provide those kinds of things to help parents and or teachers to continue to serve those kids um, in the absence of traditional speech therapy sessions. An excellent point, Tracy. Right, and that would be important to clear that up with your LEA, what is and is not constituted as an IEP session. Right. Anything under else? In, under informed consent, no, I, I like the written piece. Um, you know, there's a lot of, probably a lot of, uh, people out there trying to figure out what's the best way to do that. Is it, is a, is an electronic DocuSign format? Is that considered written Perry or is that sort of gray area? Yes. No, I think DocuSign is, um, is or fine. Like you know, Adobe or whatever they're using. It's free. Yeah. yeah. It takes some effort on the parent's part to, to make that signature. And so it, it gives, gives the informed consent that we are right. looking. 
yeah. and most of those have a time or geo stamp that shows like where it was signed at, um, what time and all that stuff in the um, signature. So you'll be able to tell. Okay. So that's good. Yeah. Um, that, that's all that I had for that part. We can okay, move on great. to the next one. Yeah, move on to the next slide. So um, right now, again, as of August 22nd, the North Carolina 27th, the North Carolina Board of Examiners continues to uh, have relaxed the HIPAA compliance regulation in the statute. So you are free to choose uh, the, the platform that your LEA chooses to provide those services on. We want it to be as confidential and private as possible, but we know that um, not all of them are. But many platforms that were not private and confidential before because of COVID have updated to be much more confidential. So your LEA will determine that platform and you need to use whatever, whatever your LEA chooses to use. If you're having some difficulty with it, I would be in touch with the technology people in your district and get them to help you through some, um, some problems that you may be encountering. Group therapy is fine. You may continue to do group, do group therapy. You may continue to do classroom-based therapy as we did, like a whole classroom, and do integrated services, inclusive services, whatever you'd like to call them. Uh, again, I would uh, encourage you to collect informed consent using the language that your LEA suggests. I wouldn't do that yourself. Your LEAs are likely to involve their lawyers in, in using the exact language that they would like to do. But I would encourage you to um, have these aspects of that, that you are providing services through telepractice, and I would name the platform. And I would ask for a confidentiality statement that the parents will keep the names activities and responses that go on during a therapy session confidential. Um, those, I, I think that is all important information to collect in your informed consent. And Medicaid in this day and age, uh, again, has relaxed the requirement and is permitting billing for teleservices. It's called virtual service delivery. They are reimbursing for it and you may continue to serve kids and receive reimbursement for groups up to four. ECATS has, um, when you choose the, the billing kinds of things in ECATS these days, there is virtual service delivery and you will choose that form of service delivery if you're providing services through telepractice. Okay. Um, I know you touched on informed consent and, and groups, but um, I think there are a lot of questions from my my work that I, when I work with school districts around the country about how do you conduct groups, how do you ensure um, confidentiality, how do we, you know, you've, you're, you're essentially opening other people's homes to other yeah. people, uh, right. other, other students to students, and the the confidentiality of that um, is a little bit of a new frontier for schools because that's really never happened before. Right. Um, and I know you said Medicaid allows for up to groups of four. Personally, um, I'm looking at, you know, five people right now and myself and I'm pre we're presenting. This is about as much as my brain will allow me to multitask and gather information from people. So more than a few people in a group, um, from a therapeutic standpoint, makes it harder to uh, read, you know, body language, emotions. It, I'm, I have trouble when I'm working with groups larger than three or four um, to understand if I'm, you know, if I'm going too fast or if I'm doing something that's not being picked up. If it's a smaller group, I pick up on that. Um, and I can go back and I can, you know, check in and make sure we're, where everybody's on the same page with a larger group, you lose that, you know, touch, so to speak. So, um, just from a, a therapeutic standpoint, I think you definitely lose a little bit more in a virtual setting, um, as opposed to being in, in person, you know, you can work with a lot more people in person than I think you can in a, in a virtual setting. Um, but 
to back it up even further, um, are you suggesting that they have some direct language as it relates to groups in their informed consent? Yes, I absolutely am. If, okay. if you are if you are doing group therapy, I would absolutely have that group um, word in there so that parents are informed and, that it's going to be a group. Great. But, but I, you've got documentation on this too um, from DPI, I believe, right? Well, so um, at this particular time, DPI is um, in this site-based management state. DPI is leaving that language up to the LEAs. Okay, got it. Um, right. But I completely, going back a bit, I completely agree with you about um, managing lots of stuff on a screen with many students in a group. So, you know, it, you may revise things. You may have seen four students in a group. At this time, you may choose to only see two students in that mm -hmm. group. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a different world. Uh, things may need to be changed a bit right. to, to make it uh, acting in the best interest and of children. That's right. And you're also bringing in more variables, uh, not only like just behavior variables and you know inconsistencies, mm -hmm. but uh, bandwidth and things like that start to get uh, a little bit dif more difficult when you're trying to interact directly with more than a few people at a time. So just keep that in mind. I would urge everyone to test if they think they want to do a, a group with a four or five people. Um, I would try to find four or five people and do a test on whatever platform you're using and see if that is helpful. Um, because what we're seeing uh, with Enable My Child is that some schools have issued their own you know, Chromebooks or iPads or laptops or whatever, and there's virus uh, scanning technology on there that blocks this information from showing up. There are uh, permissions that don't allow the browsers to connect to audio, video, and mic. Um, there's firewall, so you have to whitewall your website. If it's a website or if it's an app, you have to get permission from the tech department to download it. So there's a whole, you know, pre-therapy, um, you know, set of items that you really want to go through and make sure are, are there. Um, and so that's something I think that, um, you know, in determining your platform, you'll probably want to walk through some of that during that determination. Excellent points. Yes, I agree with all of that. Okay, perfect. Uh, anything we need to rehash here? We're going to move on. Yeah, move on. Okay. I'm excited to hear from our guests. I'm, I'm taking up too, too much time. You know, wait to hear what they have to tell you. So, <laughs> um, in, in preparation for that session, again, we mentioned this in the earlier episodes of Teletalk, the first and the second. We all wish, I, I think the students would agree that we wish we had done sort of a training session with the parents in preparation for, and that I mentioned that earlier, that the first 15 minutes of the first session were a little um, complicated because People were learning how to mute microphones and uh, having a hard time logging on to the platform. And it, it was just a little bit chaotic. And had we done a parent training session in advance, it, it would not have been. So these are just some things that you might want to include in your parent training session, how to connect to the Wi-Fi wherever they are, how to access the platform, how to turn on and off the video, adjust the volume, and use the microphone. Um, how to mute the microphone um, became a problem when you know a couple people were responding at the same time. But but again, only only that first session, and everybody was really good after that about when we said you know when mute your microphone when it's not your turn. Um, so to be present with the student as much as possible, like we said, the, we, we thought the one student was very independent and would do just fine. But then when her mother joined her on one of the sessions, it went just so much better for her. Um, so we would really encourage um, always a parent or caregiver um, to, be, to be with the student when telepractice is going on. Uh, but we do want to foster independence as much as possible in communication skills. One of our students, I, I think Laura is going to talk to you a bit about him, but one of our students is an augmented communication user. 
And, um, you know, his mom just really wanted him to do really well. So she was programming some of the responses for him. And, and we were able to get past that and really um, get him to do those responses. And it, it, it just turned out way better. And he, he was able to be a much more independent communicator um, than, than I think his mom thought he could be. So we also had, um, we left homework for them uh, to carry over our activities into the natural environments of home. Home is the educationally relevant environment right now. That's where kids are being educated. And so if you can leave some uh, homework activities behind, our parents did them really well and enjoyed doing them and uh, put them in the place that we requested them and we watched them and gave them feedback. It, it, it went really well, the homework situation. Next slide. So um, there are lots of resources, as I always remind you on my website, lots of people know how to get there. But if you don't, if you just Google search my name, it's the first thing that comes up for you. Some of the activities that the students did uh, the, the ideas or the resources for them came from these two resources that are on my website in the COVID section, the North Carolina Remote Learning Resources and Supplemental Optional Remote Learning Resources for Students with Disabilities. There's just a wealth of information there. Many DPI consultants have uh, contributed to the information that you will find there. And I think it will give you lots of ideas of themes and activities and um, that are related to the extended content standards as well as the educational standards for, um, for general education. So <laughs> I know that everyone will be happy that I have ended my part. And I, I will tell you this story on myself. I really enjoyed, I have to say, I really enjoyed interacting with our students during those um, tele-sessions. And I was, you know, interjecting a good deal and having a really good time. And I was asked very politely and very socially appropriately to not interject so much that they had it. They did not need my input, and I, they were right. They did not need my input, so I muted myself and followed my direction. So I will try to do the same now, but I cannot, I cannot promise that I will not interject some. So I'm going to um, let the wonderful graduate students take it away and tell you about some of the activities that they did. All right. So... I think that's a sign of good instructors when they know when to let the let, let the reins go, so to speak. So exactly, let the um, reins go. You got it. Who is up first? Okay, so uh, I'm sharing my screen right now. Okay, let me see if I can stop sharing mine. Okay. All right. Well, I think it went away try try going again laura okay there we go okay can you see everything yep yeah. we see the google drive folder okay so um we did a google drive folder to kind of organize our week by week sessions and this was really helpful because if we weren't able to get to everything that week we would um uh, make a copy and move it on to the next week and then we would also use it to review so this is just an example of one of our lesson plans. Um, so first we would start our session off with um, our schedule, our picture schedule. And one of the things that we really took into consideration when we moved over to teletherapy was how do we incorporate multimodal things? Because at first we were in the classroom with um, the students and we were able to bring things in for them to touch, for them to taste, for them to smell. And now we're in a new environment where we physically can't be there with them and provide these items. So we tried to make it as visual and to try to incorporate as many multimodal things as we could over um, telepractice. So Jessica will talk about um, the first thing and how we would start our session. Um, so what we would do is we would just 
share our screen and go over um, each of the activities that we had planned um, for the session that day. Um, and then after we did that, we would um, establish an order for the students to go to respond to um, whatever activities that we were doing. Um, and this is something that Perry had encouraged us to do even before we started our first session. Um, and the students like really, really responded well to it. Um, so they knew when their turn was um, and in what order they were supposed to respond. So you didn't have to worry about people talking at the same time because they had a specific order to go in. Yeah. And this was, we found this really helpful because we were in a classroom, like Perry said, that was really mixed. So for the student that was using the AAC device, it would give him more time to start working on his response. He would know what we were starting, we were looking for after we would give the goal and he would start working on that. So while his other peers were giving the responses, um, he could know what to expect. And then as well with the other students, they would know when it was their turn to talk. And then this also really focused on the strengths of the students. So we would um, make the order based off of their strengths and what we thought that they could to find opportunities for them to thrive and to show their successes throughout the session. Okay, so this right here is um, the agenda. So then we would go, we would um, go over the agenda with them, but this is kind of how we set up our agenda. So Mariah, will talk about this part. Yes. So as Laura said, this was basically our end of things. And at the top of our agenda, um, like they said, we always had what order we wanted to go in, and this would change every week. So as you can see, BKT, but maybe next week it might be KBT. Um, so we just always change it up. And then we had parent coaching just to remind ourselves that it's okay to encourage the parents to allow the students to practice first, turn the microphone off, practice with the parents, and then come back to the session and share what they just share with their parents. So we found that that really helped instead of trying to just say, all right, do this and say this without any practice beforehand. So that yeah, was part um, of that teach, test, reteach type of um, pattern where we would give them the opportunity to practice and then they will succeed in front of their peers and throughout the session. So yeah, right. Mariah. And as you can see, um, we just had different activities. And for those activities, we had goals for each activity. So for example, um, an introduction, we might have said that the clinician will give an example of the animal they saw this week. Um, and a goal would be using describing words, the student will use five utterances to describe the animal they saw. So we made sure that our goals were in tech with our activities. And then we had to branch up and branch down as well in case they just surpassed those goals. Um, and then we can just go down to the closing. Oh, we always added a break in the middle because I'm sure you can imagine what it's like being on the computer for so long. Um, yeah, and, and examples of the type of breaks that we did and things that you can do too. Yes, so, and we'll talk about that like Laura just said. And then let's talk about closing really quickly. So for closing, as Perry mentioned, we had some homework that we did um, that we assigned for the students to, to do at home. So some homework would be make a chart and talk about the similarities and differences between two animals that you saw at home. Um, so we tried to always incorporate what they see in the house or outside of the home into our homework. And our homework always, well, our closing always had open-ended questions. So for closing, we might say, what did we learn about today? Or what was something new that you learned? And if you had fun, why did you have fun? So we just tried to always give them an opportunity to talk rather than us being the ones to talk all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we're going to go into um, some examples that we did. 
So the first, um, so this theme that we did that we're showing you, it's a zoo activity. And like Perry said in some of the resources that he showed the links to, um, we found that um, the zoo was great because you could do so many things with the zoo. You can um, incorporate some of those um, descriptors and you, there's a lot of language with um, zoo activities. So Morgan will talk about um, some of the activities that we did. Yeah, so um, we kind of just tried it out with the zoo, like I think the first session. Um, we had kind of did something similar in the classroom. We were doing like a travel theme and we incorporated a lot of animals just to see how it worked. And the students responded really well to it. They really enjoyed going to the zoo virtually. And so we thought it would be best for them and best for us, honestly, to keep that consistent throughout the weeks. Um, like Laura said, we could do so much with it. So it really wasn't grasping at straws or anything. Um, so what we wanted to do since they were in high school, we wanted to kind of maintain the highest, like the highest level of material that they could thrive with. So um, we decided to bring in some vocabulary that you might learn in like an environmental science class in high school. Um, so we started every session with the same kind of list of vocabulary words, um, maybe adding one on every time, but we tried to keep it consistent so that they would re really know those words. Um, Add really quick, we did see throughout our sessions that they really were retaining these words and they started using them on their own without prompting. Um, so like Morgan said, revisiting these every week really um, pushes them to remember them and regurgitate them and do use them in natural speech. Yeah, so I'm gonna jump in here for a second. They did use um, the words habitat and forest and desert and ocean and uh, grasslands, all, all of those words, uh, we were really impressed uh, uh, that, that this went so well. But the, the students had really tailored the activities to the students' level of proximal learning and maybe even just a bit above, and they, they really rose to the occasion. So. I, I was really proud of them for, um, you know, challenging the the students in the classroom, and and we were very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, after about a week or two of just kind of testing the waters, we definitely did want to challenge them a little bit um, to see what they could do. And so yeah, so we went over these vocabulary words every day. We went over the definition. Of course, the first time we talked about it, we kind of explained the definition. Um, and then when we would revisit them every week, we would ask if they remembered anything about the definition. And then to further understand what the word meant, of course, we had a picture there. Um, and then we uh, reset the definition in their own words. So we had them each go around and say in their own words what the definition was. And so, um, that obviously helps you really learn words no matter what level you're at. Um, and so, and we would incorporate all these words into our future activities. So Laura, if you wanna show them the penguin activity. So we would pick about two to three um, animals every week. Um, we, always, we always planned more than we could actually do. Mm -hmm. um, that's better to plan more than to plan too little. Um, so we'd pick about two or three animals that we were going to visit that day. Um, and so we would have these Google Docs already created. So um, we would have we would share our screen with the um, group so that they could see it. So it was a good visual aid to go with our auditory. Um, and so we would have the zoo video. Um, that we would click on and sometimes um, the San Diego Zoo thing didn't work. So we had to have a few YouTube videos as backup, mm -hmm. um, but just like good videos that show like something you would see if you were at the zoo. And sometimes it's even better because sometimes you're at the zoo and the animals are sleeping. So, um, so we would go through that. But before we even saw the video, we would ask the students 
to predict different things about that animal. Um, so going with our vocabulary words, kind of like, um, what does their habitat look like? We, are, we learned about the word habitat. Now, what do you think their habitat is? Or we were really honing in on nocturnal and diurnal. Um, so do we think they're nocturnal or diurnal? And of course we had to have an owl in there too, like one of the only <laughs> diurnal animals that is familiar to a lot of people. Um, so, and so we would type out every answer that a student gave us. So again, like with that auditory and visual um, partnership mm -hmm. so that they can really them an opportunity to, to learn from each other. If someone, there was even times where they were teaching us, um, they were teaching us and they were like, wait, that animal is um, nocturnal. And then we would see it during the day and we would have to explain like, well, right now it's awake because it's at a zoo, but normally, and then we would talk about those. So it gave us great opportunities to see things um, that weren't strictly to the definition. And so it really opened up for the students to have conversation about that. Yeah, yeah, they definitely, yeah, conversation was definitely opened in almost every animal because some people would make comment, like as we kind of progressed through the weeks, they would comment about what they liked about that animal or what they didn't like, or, oh, that kind of looks like that animal. Just, they would do that on their own and then they would talk amongst each other. And so we really enjoyed seeing that, that they were really um, remembering what we were learning. So we would do this with- Can I animals. add something really quickly? Yeah, of course. So another thing um, with that, if they made a prediction, we would ask the other students as well. Like yeah. maybe a student might've said, oh, the penguin's brown. And we would ask the students, what do you think about that prediction? And they might be like, uh, that's not a good prediction or I don't think the penguin's actually brown. So um, they also taught and learned from each other as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, which is something we really tried to do in the classroom. Um, in the classroom we had I think three times at least as many students. So we had a lot more interaction between the students. Um, but yeah, we try to keep them, um, you know, interacting with each other rather than us because that allows for them to have a lot more language time. Um, and so, yeah, we would do the predictions and then we would look at the videos um, or the pictures or whatever would work best for them and answer, was this prediction right? were they actually black and white? Yes, they were. Or um, just kind of stuff like that. So, um, and then <laughs> about for about three weeks, we had in our lesson plan to do a compare and contrast Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. um, that never, <laughs> never happened until like the last two sessions because we kept going over time. Um, but I think that actually worked out in our benefit. Yeah, when we did, they were very successful at it. Yeah, because we really went over those penguins and owls and those core animals that we kept seeing and seeing and seeing. Um, and so by the time we actually got to the Venn diagram, we just had to quickly like brief over the animals that we were gonna work on. And they knew those so well that they were able to go to that higher level and do the comparison and contrasting. They did that. They they blew my they blew all of our minds on that part. So I think the homework that we were giving them each week to look at other animals that were different than the ones we were talking about, either online at the zoo or just in their house. Um, I know we talked about animals we saw in our backyard. So that really gave them an opportunity to start thinking about like what's different, what's the same. And so even though we didn't specifically talk about a Venn diagram at the time, mm -hmm. they were already practicing comparing and contrasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I think it was our, no, it wasn't our last session. We played a game on the last session, but um, second to last, we had this up kind of like the chart for the penguin that we showed you. Um, and we would go through and we'd go in our normal or just whatever um, order we had set for that day. And they would go through. And of course, some of them are easier to do comparisons than contrasting. Um, but they would just choose it. And if they had already, if they had chosen, like if um, someone said, 
oh, well, they both have two eyes. Um, and that was already written on there. Then we'd ask for another. Um, and so, yeah, they really, they really thrived on that one. And yeah, we would write it up um, in real time. And yeah, that one, that one, that went really well. And then we did talk about, um, I think it's important through teletherapy because we do this automatically when we're face to face, but with teletherapy, do think about right now we're looking at a Venn diagram, but what happens if we do have to branch down, then what? So mm -hmm. we thought about how would we branch down? How would we branch up? So if we were branching down, we would have a word bank ready. So in the Venn diagram, um, you just see the names, but if not, we would have the word bank ready. Like, okay, here's a picture of the bear here's a picture now what are some similarities what are some differences if we did have to refresh um on habitats um and on vocab boards that we were using so that's also something important to think about how you would branch down um via you know telepractice because sometimes when we're in the classroom it's a lot easier to modify things um but over teletherapy we have to you know kind of think about these things on what we would do in that scenario. Yeah, you definitely have to come prepared um, and have a few things in your back pocket um, yeah. and that will make them a lot more successful. So yeah, those word banks, um, it would just kind of give them ideas like what about, you know, their habits and that we, also like Laura said, we would pull from the vocabulary and so we would try to incorporate that in everything we would do. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and then what do we want to we'll go over oh the break. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about breaks. Mariah was saying how, you know, we're we're in a new environment, we're in our home, we're sitting at the on the chair, staring at our screen. So one thing that we wanted to incorporate was a movement break because um students do get tired. I know for us, we just think it's an hour, we're doing an hour of um, therapy with them, but they may be in other classes with their regular ed teacher, special ed teacher. So they're sitting in front of the screen for a long time. So we thought that a movement break would be really important, but not just any movement break. We learned that you have to make it um, functional as well. So thinking about how can you make this functional and also give them opportunities for language. Um, so what we did is we started doing yoga poses and each student would lead a yoga pose. So we would all stand up, take a break, um, and talk about verbally using our words or using our device um, leading this yoga pose. So we would each lead a yoga pose. And then at the end, um, we would have each student take their turn and give us a pose, um, like I said, using their words or using their device. And sometimes um, some of the technological challenges, like a screen freezing up worked to our advantage because one time a student was making up a pose and her screen froze. And so we couldn't see what she was doing. So it really aided her in being like, you know, you have to use your words so we can know what we need to do. And then um, we were all able to check if we had done it correctly when her screen unfroze. Um, so yeah. We use that to our advantage yeah. um, in the moment, but it worked out really well. Definitely opportunities for language, even though it is a break, and also time for them to um, lead and give them time to make something up on their own, too, using their words and leading our group to something. Yeah. Okay. Going back to the classroom, um, we, like Laura said, we try to make it as multimodal as possible. So we'd have them get up and move a lot. And we would do two hour sessions in the classroom. So we would have them move as much as we could. So them just sitting down and listening to us try to get them to use their language was a, a big difference. Um, and yeah, with have them lead the sessions per se, um, that was something we were striving for throughout the whole semester. So. It just so happened that it ended in online, but. Okay, so now I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. Okay, and we're gonna talk about, um, before we end, I'm sharing some of the things either that we learned or we wish we would have known um, going into therapy. So we were kind of in a unique um, position just because we started um, with um, the class 
face to face and in person. So we were able to see um, them together and use their strengths um, to work together in the classroom. Um, so going off of that, one of the things that I learned that really hit me that I will probably never ever forget is really um, the concept of establishing rules with parents beforehand. Um, so Perry kind of touched about this earlier, but us as clinicians, we know what we're gonna do. Um, we know what the goal is for the child. We know um, what, what the end goal that we want for them. We know our goal is for them to produce five utterances. Our goal is just for them to say something, to nod, to communicate. Um, but a lot of the times the parents, they may not know exactly what we're targeting and sometimes we just do things naturally. So I think it's really important to talk to the parents while maybe one-on-one -on -one before the sessions start um, to talk about like, this is the type of things that we do. This is what I would like um, your student or your child to do. So one of the things that um, really caught me that I was kind of stuck in the middle of a session was that the parent was um, using the student's device to answer. But in my head, I knew that that student didn't produce utterances like that. And while the parent was trying to help and meant no harm, for us is like, well, I would rather the child produce a three-word utterance versus a whole elegant sentence because I know that's not their sentence. So really establishing with the parent that it's okay, like this is what I want, just guide them, help them find the answer. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It just has to be their voice. And that was um, one of the things that I think that we should establish because sometimes parents, you know, they just want the best for their children. They just want them to thrive and be successful. And I think with teletherapy, like we were talking about, we're going in people's homes. You know, they're seeing other students, they're seeing what's going on in the session and they don't normally see that their students just go to school and then they pick them up, but they don't see what's going on. So now that they are seeing what's going on in the session, it could be, you know, different and I guess intimidating sometimes. So they really want their students to thrive. So really just hold on, like, it's okay, set the expectations and then help them on how they can help their student be successful in the session. I love that. I love all the examples of things that went wrong and some of the things you guys did uh, to try and carry on. The screen doesn't work. Well, that's a barrier game. So now you're going to have to describe that, you know, with words. Um, I, I love that, um, you know, you get to see parents and, and students in their environment outside of school. So it does bring a little bit of a uh, different wrinkle there. You have to have a lot of empathy for what everybody's going through because everybody's in different situations. So uh, this is tremendous. It took every single ounce, and Perry can vouch for this, uh, it took every single ounce of my being not to jump in and like just give you guys little like cheerlead, like sh arm shakes as you're talking through that whole thing. Um, Hey, you, went, you could have I'm, done that. I would have been I'm, doing it. Well, well, I was doing it in the background, and I was texting was, Perry. He was texting me, and I, I squelch it for now. <laughs> now, he can, now he can rah rah for you. I, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, and and you know, um, for you all to share this, and and for you all to be able to to go through this in grad school, and and have an experience like this where you're you're getting you know um something that you know is essentially um an, an uh, altering event for the course of you know the foreseeable future that you you get to kind of be a part of in a little bit more of a controlled environment so it feels um you know a little bit safer which is great when you're learning. I don't know if I would have been ready to take on such responsibility. I don't know if I would have made these uh, decisions on the fly like you guys were. Um, I don't really know if, if I would have done all those things as a first year graduate student. So I commend you all on that and, and all the hard work that you put into the preparation, which I think puts you in the right frame of mind to make those decisions. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, and is there, Perry, do you want to jump in any here? Um, I don't want to, you know, keep talking unnecessarily, but I ju I'm just super excited that there's um, this kind of energy and work going on at the graduate school level. And I, I would hope that 
um, you know, people would share what they're doing with other colleagues um, at the, you know, at the actual school levels and, and where they're working and, and not be afraid to pull in graduate students also into these types of roles to help them um, navigate some of this stuff, uh, especially given, you know, technology and integration of platforms and all this stuff. I think it's helpful to have fresh eyes sometimes. Yeah, I agree with everything that Tracy said, and I, I think it's an amazing experience for them. And uh, we, we do hope that, that lots of people will accept graduate students. It, it's a um, it's a win-win situation. Like you guys know so well the technology and how to create those materials electronically. And then, uh, you know, master clinicians know the skilled interventions and uh, and how to conduct therapy and working together is is just a fantastic collaboration. I uh, this this came out, but I I want to make sure that people caught that the sessions were very theme based and and went over you know more than a couple of weeks. The the zoo theme went on three or four weeks, I think, and. Um, and that just really helps kids connect, hang, hang their information on some theme or topic and, and helps it um, really come to life for them. That's, I think that's why some of those very high-level vocabulary words were um, able to, to get into their lexicon is because the theme kept happening and we kept using those words over time. So. I just want to um, call that very clearly uh, in a metacognitive way to everyone's attention who's listening. So do you guys have more um, closing remarks that you'd like to make? Well, I just think um, what Tracy was saying about how he wishes people would share kind of what they're doing, um, I think we were one thing that helped us be so I quote unquote, it's like successful with this was that we were working as a group um, providing this therapy. We have four like clinicians providing this therapy. And all and very different, may I add. What? <laughs> and we're all very different, which was great. Yeah. So I think we, and we've talked about this multiple times, we are very lucky with the group that we were put into um, because we have so many different skill sets and we, we build each other up really well. Um, and so I think sharing on some kind of platform what works for you and what doesn't work or what challenges you're having and then having other SLPs and clinicians come in and give their two cents and what's worked for them is so beneficial. And I think that's what really helped us. If someone was struggling, someone would easily be able to jump right in and remind the students of the goals or you know, kind of stuff like that. So that that really aided to our success for sure. I think it provides what what you just said, Morgan, provides an opportunity for school districts to to do something like that at their monthly speech meetings. To mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe monthly speech meetings are going to happen virtually for the near future anyway. And so someone who's really good at creating electronic materials could could present for the whole school district on that. Someone who's really good with the technology could do that. Someone could call through all those resources that I have out and pick four or five that have worked really well for them. So, uh, you, you know, what you're saying that each of you came to this collaboration with some strengths can certainly be capitalized on by the workforce that happens in school districts too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Some of my my early placements um, in graduate school, as well as first year um, in, in a, as a CFY, um, and, and then a few years after, I feel like I was very lucky because I got placed with mostly really, really high quality, either supervisors or mentors or colleagues, and and mostly in more than one therapist in a organization setting. So by, by that, I mean, it may have been um, in Charlotte, there's a school called Metro School. 
I was I worked there with multidisciplinary teams, OTs, PTs, speech therapists, the, the teachers directly. It's a very collaborative um, environment. We were all in sort of like a, a related services area. I learned a ton from everybody that I worked with there, and there was a wide range of backgrounds. And so um, one thing that is kind of um, neat about the the environment that we're in now is that you do have an opportunity to try to correct that. And if you're not normally in an environment like that, maybe you're itinerant or you are in a school on your own, you may have an opportunity to kind of reach out and create these little pockets of, um, you know, therapists that maybe you, maybe you're living in a similar area as these people, or maybe you have an opportunity, uh, cause you ca- you have, you know, some other opportunity to cross paths. I would try to go out of our, your way and learn from what other people are doing and create some little coalitions and, and groups. Um, and because it's, it's really hard when you're, you feel like you're, it's all on you, but, um, you know, once the, once you get working together and having, you know, the four of you together, um, you know, you relax a little bit, creative juices start flowing. There's some, you know, opportunities there to take the lead. If you're having a good day, if you're having a rough day or something's going on, you're just not feeling it. You know, you know, your friends can back you up and and that's life and that's what it's all about. And sometimes the students will have a rough day. And so being able to kind of support each other in that um, creates its own social system that, you know, has a lot of value in itself. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting uh, to that point of collaboration that I think that um, needs to be, you know, addressed maybe even further and, and looked at how we can, you know, work on that. You've, it's harder to do as a, lar- as a group gets larger, but obviously smaller groups are, are more manageable. So, In some ways, telepractice makes interprofessional practice, interprofessional collaboration easier because, um, you know, when we were sort of bound to the brick and mortar places to work, we, we maybe didn't collaborate with OTs and PTs as much, uh, or even co-treat as much. And, and these days we're all working remotely, so it's easy to Zoom with your OT and PT and say, hey, let's talk about this kid, you know, I'm, I'm like you guys did, we, we could have involved a physical therapist who works with them and and talked about some motor skills in the in the breaks that you did you you did a great job and it was very beneficial to them and we knew enough to do those kinds of things but we could have collaborated with an OT or PT um, had that gone on longer and uh, you know incorporate some of those goals some of those skills in the language things that we were working on as well that's right and depending on the software and the programs your schools use you know, some of these tools, some of these tools for collaboration, such as Google, um, you know, have chat rooms where you can create, you know, multidisciplinary team rooms. You can create um, all kinds of rooms. You could even have a therapy, like an IEP team, um, you know, room. And, and it, there's lots of ways that you can get creative that you can maintain communication um, it, it can get a little overwhelming if you don't put some barriers on it, you know, um, mm-hmm. you definitely don't want that 24 seven, but the idea is I think there's tools out there to try and make it, um, what you want to make it. And so, um, this is exciting for me. I, I will say it again. Um, I was every ounce of me not to interrupt you guys, but, um, I'm very proud of, of what's going on in our graduate training programs. So um, thank you guys. Go ahead, say it, Tracy. Say it. Say it at UNCG, <laughs> your, your alma mater, and mine too. UNCG. I will say, I, I when when I went out for interviews uh, after grad school, um, and I was you know sitting in an interview room at Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools or you know wherever I was. Um, when I came out of the interview room, I knew almost every person in the interview room at the time. And um, speaking with my, my other students who we had not graduated yet that we were interviewing with, I felt um, more prepared then. I also felt more prepared when I left um, schools and understanding that I had, I had really had a nice solid background and that doesn't mean other schools don't prepare, but what, what I meant was where I was coming from 
as a school-based SLP right out of graduate school um, with my with my internship placements and the practicum experience that they they really push and, and really formalize and, and make it something that um, you know I just felt like I had a a solid baseline to work off of and and there was a lot of conceptual knowledge being taught in terms of you know what we were learning but I felt like I was very well prepared to tackle the real world um, as best you can be, because once you get out there, you realize it's it's completely different, and you still have to switch gears and and learn a ton more because that learning is just beginning. But in general, I was I was very I felt very lucky, especially my first few years. Once I started working and realizing that you know I did have um, a top notch education, and not just from a theoretical and conceptual standpoint, but really practical education. Yeah, yeah we definitely have to give credit. Where credit is due with Harry as our supervisor. <laughs> yeah, he really is, us at the beginning of the semester to kind of, you know, just go in and do it, like come up with everything. And um, he would give us a lot of detailed feedback, which um, <laughs> very much in handy um, when planning our next session. So we did use that to plan the next sessions. Mm -hmm. And you used it very well. I saw the changes in the next session. Yeah, so maybe we should end this love fest now. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, people are going to start thinking we're a bunch of yeah, weirdos. Right. They turned it off a long time ago already. <laughs> uh, so I will say, uh, first of all, thank you to Laura, Morgan, Jessica, and Mariah for joining us, and Tracy, as always, for helping to be the master of ceremonies here. and. I wish all of you that are watching or listening good health and um, as normal a school year as possible. And we certainly all hope that you have gotten some ideas that will help you normalize your school year from this episode of Teletalk. So um, until the next time, take care and goodbye. Thank you. <laughs> Hey everyone, thank you for listening. We hope you like what you heard today. So please share, like, comment, and send to your friends and colleagues. We want to grow this podcast and make sure that we're able to reach as many people as possible and give as much valuable content as possible. Don't forget to check out Perry's website by Googling his name or checking the notes section. You could also check out enablemychild.com as it relates to telehealth support services and telehealth solutions. We hope you have a great day and thank you once again.